0: Let's pray, and uh, we, will, uh, we will dig into 2 Corinthians. Father, we thank you again just for your grace and your kindness to us. We know, Lord, as a nation that we deserve to be cursed and destroyed for many of the immoral realities that we have been involved in. And you've been kind and merciful and gracious uh, for, because of who you are, and we are grateful. And Father, we are grateful that Roe v. Wade was was overturned. We know, Lord, that the atrocities really do continue. Uh, In some places, it's more limited than in others. But Father, we know that there's still the killing of babies that takes place on a daily basis. And so we ask that you will help believers to continue to do all that they can with your help uh, to fight this and to seek to overcome. And eventually, Lord, how great it would be For this kind of thing to no longer be legalized in our country until that day comes father we ask you help us to be faithful we ask also lord for your hand on us as we hear your word this morning we pray that as we read through second corinthians as we contemplate what is being communicated by paul we ask lord that you will enable us to absorb the truth that is here to have understanding to desire to be changed as well as challenged by what it says Father, we may continually grow in our maturity as believers and be used by you even in a greater degree in the lives of others. We do thank you, Father, again for giving us your word and preserving it for us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what I'm going to do this morning is a little different. I'm I'm just going to kind of run through a quick explanation of verses 13 through 16. uh, And then I will read then chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, because that will be our main text Uh, for this morning. But Paul's kind of finishing up and really helps to reestablish the context of what we're dealing with. So verse 13 of 2 Corinthians, therefore we are comforted and besides our own comfort we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So again remember that Paul uh, is talking about a time uh, when he was away from them. He had written several letters to them. We only have uh, two, but but uh, he had written several letters to them, some of them very harsh because of some things that had gone on. And he was concerned about them as a church, how they were going to respond. He was also awaiting word from Titus. Titus was delayed in seeing him, and so he was worried. Uh, he mentions that. We talked a little bit about uh, this. He wasn't dominated by worry, but he was concerned. Um, it was affecting him. And when Titus came, he was really thrilled to see Titus again. And then the news that titus brought about the church the idea basically and we'll see this is that they had received uh the exhortation from paul really well uh and they were following through and doing the things that they were to do as as a group of believers and so paul was was very thrilled at this uh news and so he says in verse 14 for whatever boast i made them about you i was not put to shame but just as everything we said to you was true so also our boasting before Titus had proved true. The idea was he had spoken well of the church. He, he did expect them to do well. Uh, and, and again, the report that he was given was that they were. And so he says, and his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. So basically, Titus was a little concerned when he showed up, didn't know how, what kind of reception he was going to get. He saw that they as a group were living in obedience to the Word of God. Uh, And as a result of that, um, he was just he was thrilled by that. Uh, There was an outpouring of love to Titus uh, and affection. And uh, that that they actually were maybe a little concerned when Titus showed up as the emissary of Paul. Uh, But these things had worked out, they had worked through this difficulty. There's still a few things to clean up that Paul's been talking about, but it was a good thing, good overall, uh, as to what had taken place. And so Paul, again, has ongoing confidence in them that they're going to do the right thing. So he's not saying that to manipulate them, uh, where you're going to say something positive so that way they will, you know, be tricked into doing the right thing. He really is confident that they will do what is right. Uh, And that's really his only concern. He doesn't care about them being loyal to him or not. But but he is in the sense that uh, he seeks to represent the Lord, he's given them what God has commanded, and he wants their obedience in that sense. So then beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. "...in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also." So Paul here is beginning to talk to them about the work of God in their life, the work of God's grace. We speak of God's grace, again, just the basic definition is it is the favor of God that is undeserved. We speak of God's grace at salvation. There's also a sense of God's grace that we speak of in our lives as believers— uh, that would be God's ongoing strength that he gives us. Uh, the goodness of God that continues to enable us to encourage us to live as we ought to live and to be used by God in day-to-day living. Uh, there's acts of grace where we, we may do good things for others that they've not earned. It's not that they're, they're not deserving of us to do them a favor, but they're acts of grace really done in the name of the Lord because of who God is, is what the Lord would have us to do. And so we might refer to it in that way. We don't. I mean, I, know, I don't talk like that today. I don't do something for somebody and say that is an act of grace. I don't do that. Uh, but the idea is, is because I'm a Christian. Because I love Christ. Because it's what God wants me to do. We do things as a church because we believe it's what God wants us to do. Uh, and so these would be considered acts of grace. So the background to this, because he talks about this, you know, he, he's referring to a famine and some difficulty that's going on with certain churches, particularly in Jerusalem. And the problem in Jerusalem is not just the effects of the famine, uh, but that is doubly felt by them because of the kinds of persecution that the Jewish believers uh, went through. Remember that for Jewish believers when when they became believers, when they converted from Judaism to Christianity, many of them faced persecution beginning at least with their own families. Families would disown them. Uh, Sometimes they would have maybe an inheritance that would be cut off. Sometimes they would be cut off from the family immediately, and there would be no safety net. Uh, Because the families were kind of large families, there was a a natural networking of depending on each other to get through every aspect of life. That would have been cut off. Uh, Some of of them also suffered if they had a business, let's say within a city or in an area, and other Jews discovered they had become Christians, they would no longer use them. They would use someone else for whatever the the purpose may be. And so when your resources and your finances are kind of cut off during a time of famine, now you're really struggling um, to get through the time. So in Acts 11, let me read to you verses 27 through 30. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit, that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So there was a series of, of famines that devastated the Mediterranean agriculture area in the time of Claudius. Uh, there were some old papyrus showing uh, that there were high grain prices. Uh, in A.D. 46, so I guess it would be similar to our high gas prices, Um, except their guy was Claudius, and you know who our guy is. Um, But there was a grain shortage in Rome. Uh, In fact, the grain shortage in Rome was so great that it nearly led to Claudius being mobbed in the streets um, and probably killed. That was around 51 A.D. Uh, There was an individual named Queen Helena of Adeabin who bought Egyptian grain for large sums of money to help Judea. Uh, that was why she bought it, to help, help the people that were living there. There were some local Jewish relief efforts that were going on, um, but uh, you know, they, they were kind of difficult to be able to access, and they weren't really doing all that much. Uh, when Queen Helena helped uh, the Jews of Palestine, that was a big help. But a lot of the local focus was due more to the nature of the Roman Empire. In other words, it was, it, it was kind of involved in the organization of Rome, and so as a result, it was pretty highly suspect as to how much of the help that was given actually got to the people. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but what is significant here is that the believers in Acts acted in advance of the famine because of the prophecy. The prophecy was given, so before the famine hit, they were already there willing to help, and they were doing what they could to help others prepare then in 1 Corinthians 16 in verses 1 through 4 it says now it reads now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia so you also are to do on the first day of every week each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there would be no collecting when I come and when I arrive I will send those whom you uh, accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem if it seems advisable that I should go also they will accompany me So that's kind of the physical carrying forth of this of more aid that is going. God, Paul kind of said, "Look, this needs to be done. I don't want to collect money when I get there. Start putting the money aside now, and then we're going to send the money. Uh, Basically, there will be some individuals who will carry the money. We'll give them a letter to kind of let people know who they are. If 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 I need to go along, I'll do that. Uh, But he wants to make sure these individuals are helped during this time of great difficulty." Romans fifteen it says, "At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem." bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So again, there's a big emphasis on Judea. Why Judea? Again, that is the region where believers uh, first were converted from Judaism uh, to Christianity. Again, they, would have, they were the ones I mentioned before. They were victims of the social and economic, ostr- being ostracized in that, uh, in that way. Um, basically, religious excommunication being kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, they would be disinherited from anything that was Jewish as well as family inheritance. And again, a lot of their business ventures would have collapsed family ties, severed, etc. So there was great, great suffering that was taking place. Paul then, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is presenting a challenge to the Corinthians, and he brings up the Macedonians. The Macedonians are the example that he's using. The Macedonians gave upon the basis of what they had in their souls, because they were poor. This was not a rich community, but Paul is using them as an example. Paul saw, no, Paul saw no reason why the Corinthians could not do the same. They had spiritual riches and material poverty, but he still expected them to do what they could to help out those who were in great need and that God was going to provide for them uh, in this way. So the idea here that's being developed is that when a person desires to give in grace, okay, that's kind of, that's kind of what he's talking about. That's kind of the, the wording I'm going to use. I've read through a bunch of sermons uh, that is a terminology that a lot of guys use, and I think that's to keep it distinctive. Uh, I think the idea here, at least one of the ideas here that I gather from all of this, is this is not where people are being moved emotionally. You can be moved emotionally to do things, and that's fine, but that is not the basis of what Paul is appealing to. So, you know, this, he didn't have this available, but he's not doing a PowerPoint presentation where he's showing little children with bloated stomachs, uh, and people dying of starvation. That's not what he's doing. He is appealing to, to them as believers. He is appealing to them as, uh, as mature uh, Christians and asking them, really, he, and he knows he's doing this, he's asking the poor uh, to do this. He, and again, the Macedonians or the church in Macedonia is the example. He is convinced that God is going to make them possible for them to do this. The idea behind that would be several things. Number one, perhaps God would provide them with the extra they could give, and they could give that. It may also be that in their poverty, they just give what they have, and they've got nothing left. And they're just simply trusting that God will provide in the future for them. You know, there's that idea. Um, You know, if you're going to do that, you always want to do that prayerfully, because I don't think God's asking you to do that all the time. Uh, But but that is kind of the idea that is present here. So, again, this application I think is important. So, number one, let's again make sure that we assure ourselves as to what's being taught here or what's not being taught. This is not giving without planning or without thinking. Paul wants them to think about this. He wants them to knowingly do what they're going to do. Even if they're going to give sacrificially to the point they have nothing left, he wants them to do this knowingly. They're purposely doing this thing. So, this is not giving without planning. This is not where they're giving to build bigger and better buildings or uh, ministries or that kind of thing. Um, they, are, they are meeting a specific need that is, that is truly there. The sacrifice here, again, is giving because of the extreme need that's due to the famine. And that is also complicated because of persecution. People are literally going hungry. And they're going to starve and suffer and are suffering as a result. So then in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 8, he says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He's talking about the Macedonians. Right? So there's a great paradox here, I guess you could say, that's being presented to us. So the Macedonians are under great pressure. And even though they're under great pressure, They are abounding in inner joy, and they have an attitude of liberal giving. Why are they doing this? Well, number one, their joy was in the Lord, not in things. Their joy is in the Lord, not in things. That that reminds us that we need to make sure that that when it comes to the joy that we have as believers, yes, it's joy in Christ, absolutely. There's a joy that, that the Lord gives us as we live in this world. We have greater joy, that's a result of God, in the relationships that we have with people, the relationship with your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, <laughs> you know, with each other, our friends. There's, there's all that is multiplied uh, because of Christ. Hopefully, as we mature as believers, it's less about the new vehicle, new house, bigger house, new addition, great vacation. All those things are fine, there's nothing wrong with those things, but our joy is centered and is fueled by this relationship that we have with Christ. Because of a one of the, one of the aspects or one of the evidences that you are maturing as a believer, is your joy is increasing, your actual contented happiness is is increasing, regardless of whatever your circumstances may be. It's never dependent upon circumstances, uh, negative or positive. It is this relationship we have with Christ, understanding who He is. So the truth is. Uh, The truth is in our our soul, and there's a great capacity for for us to become enlarged people by the Spirit of God. Uh, It kind of works this way. If you have multiple children, normally when you have your first child, you love your child with all of your heart, mind, and soul. There is no extra love on reserve somewhere. You don't say, well, I love my kid a lot. 98% 98% Right? That, that we don't think in those terms, you know, you, you don't say I'm keeping 2% in case there's someone else or something else I need to love one day, you know, because I don't want to use it all up. So when you have your second child, where does the other love come from? Well, your heart is expanded. Your capacity for love grows and you love that child with all of your heart, mind, and soul and strength and the heart... And the love you have for the first child is not diminished in any way. You just have more of it. It's amazing how that works. So if you want more love in your heart, have more children. (laughs) All right? Same thing happens when it comes to the family of God. You know, you may say, well, you know, I I like our church. I just like the size it is. I don't want there to be any more people because I have no more love to give. And the Lord brings a few more people. And let's say one of them is not only someone that you end up loving as a brother, but they have great need. So where does the room come from? It it expands. That's the idea here. Uh, And what's going on with with what's going on with the Macedonians? So their liberal giving then did not depend upon what they had in their pocket, but it depended on what they had in their soul. That really is what this is about. It kind of goes back to the story that Jesus told about the woman... Uh, you know who, who gave and, and which you know, it, the idea was there were people that were bringing their money to the temple treasury, and there were wealthy people who did do this. They really did hire individuals who played trumpets or bugles, and when they would go to put their you know it'd be like if we did it if we did our church service that way, we would have a big box up here, and then you would you would make your way to the front to deposit your gift, and we're all watching but to make sure that everybody was watching when they gave, the trumpets would blow. And you, after a while, you're like, oh, you know, um, Steve's giving. He's a banker, man. He's rich. And you want to see how big the gold is, you know, the bag of gold he has a stick in there. So they would blow the trumpets. Well, this woman was the, just the complete opposite of that. She, she was really dirt poor, and she gave everything that she had, which means what was she going to use to buy food tomorrow so she could eat? You know, the truly poor you know, you can't use the poor in America for that idea. The truly poor are those who, if they give everything they have, that means they do not know if they will even eat the next day. Because there's nothing. That's this lady. And then what she has in comparison is basically two pennies. And there's people today would laugh at that. You know, some little kid wants to give, they give all their money and they drop their pennies and they lose it. And they're crying, we are like, This is not a big deal, it's just a penny here. I got a penny, you know. But Jesus made a big deal about this woman giving everything she had to the Lord. And so he was he was basically it was an expression of her soul. And so that's the idea here. These individuals giving in this way. So there's basically, I guess you could say, some principles of giving that we can kind of gather from this. So, you know, we hardly ever talk about money, and don't worry, we're not going to launch into a series of of tithing messages that will go for the rest of the year. Um, We're not going to do that. But when we come to it, we are going to talk about it. And so here we are going to talk about money. But primarily, it's about giving and the principles that we are to use to guide us as believers uh, in in our giving. So from verse 2, basically the giving then that we've already looked at depends on attitude, not on possessions. Okay, what is our attitude? What is our attitude towards others? What is our attitude towards need? What is our attitude towards what we possess? What is our attitude towards the Lord? Right, so, th- so that is a very important aspect. So giving then, or not giving, may be evidence of where we are in our relationship with the Lord or how we're growing or maturing. Others may be aware that you're giving. They may not have any idea. If you give or what you give, All that is really unimportant. This is between you and God, and one of the ways you can measure where you are, if you're going to be honest with yourself, and that can be difficult at times, and we ask the Lord to help us, to honestly help us to evaluate where we are as Christians. But where am I on this realm? Now, sometimes that really won't come out until there's a real serious need in the sense that more may be required of you, or more is asked to be given for a particular situation, whatever the situation is. How do we evaluate if we give or not? Because we, we should do that. Just because a need appears to be great does not mean that you should dig in your pocket and give. It doesn't mean that. I don't know yet. But I do know that then if we determine that this is something that we should do, maybe even that God wants us to do, And we look at, hey, if you're an older person and you're retired and you're on fixed income, you only have so much money to last so many years, how are you viewing that? How how tightly are you going to squeeze that? Remember that trusting God for our needs to be met is not just something missionaries do. All right? It's not just something people who are in ministry do. It's what all believers do. Now, I can tell you many stories of how God has met the needs of my family. In incredible ways and incredible situations. And there are some, maybe many, but there are some who will hear those stories and they're thinking, well, yeah, but that's because Bob was in ministry. But I can also call upon a few people that I know here who aren't in ministry and God's done the same kinds of things for them. God is there to meet our needs. This, you know, we're not obviously we're not charismatic i'm not health and wealth i'm not any of that kind of stuff do i believe that god will meet your need and sometimes really in supernatural ways absolutely got no problem with that it's amazing how god will do that remember god is pretty big and so god god it's never a situation where god says well i really want to help robert and jill but i'm just tapped out you know, there's all these families in Africa and South America, and even the ones in Savannah. I just, I just don't have the time or the wherewithal to help them. at no, just there's no limit to God. He's infinite. But we do need to recognize that, that God is concerned about every aspect of our life. And so we need to make sure that we are growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ and that we recognize that our attitude towards these things must be very different and that what we are to be looking to or who we are looking to is the one who provides all these things for us all along and from the beginning, and that is God himself. If you look at verse 3, let me, let me get back, i got to turn back some pages because i got to find where I have this in very large print so I can read it without my glasses. Um, some people think that when I read the Bible, I put my glasses on, and then when I'm preaching, I'm reading it without my glasses, they think I have it all memorized. No, it's called 28 font. Um, so... That's how I'm able to do that. So verse 3, he says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will. So the last phrase there, of their own free will, giving must be done willingly. So you may have noticed this through the years, if you've been here a long time, that because a lot of ministries would do this, they want to come in and do a presentation. And when they do a presentation, that's when they begin to hit you up. uh, Offering, all those kinds of things. Almost always that never happens here and it's, it's on purpose. I'm the one that's behind that. I Don't want us or anyone giving because they've been moved emotionally only If you want to give I'm fine with that All right, so I'm not against it But I want to make sure that that we are doing everything we can that we are not going to be manipulated emotionally because there's a, there's a lot of a lot of mission groups they actually pay a lot of money to professionals to get to move people to because they know the, the various phrases and pictures to to basically manipulate you into writing that check and they'll use phrases i don't know if they use these phrases anymore but the idea is you need to strike when the iron's hot in other words why they don't you know if you don't appeal at this at this point of the program or presentation then and they have all these measurements. Their percentage of giving goes down. And that's probably all true. I hate all that stuff. Whatever happened to trusting God? I'll tell you a quick story. You know, when I was a missionary, you know, I was a Joe chaplain, I was a missionary, and so I had to raise all my own support. And so I would go to places and basically kind of make their presentation, and, and I, you know, I never asked the pastor to give me money or take an offering right away. I just didn't do any of that kind of stuff. You know, but I let people know, and if they want to give, this is how you give. So I, I went to a church once. It was in the middle of no. It was in Rinkin somewhere or Goshen. I have no idea where. I couldn't even find it today. But it was a, a little church, and it, I was speaking on a Wednesday night, and w- I got there to make the presentation, and I made six people. And I know a lot of guys like only six people. You know, I saw the car. They teach people to do this. Look at the cars in the parking lot. What are they driving? That'll help you gauge how much they'll give. I don't do that either. But I did notice that that all the trucks were old and beat up. But nonetheless, so I went ahead and I gave the presentation. I gave gave it like I would if there was 300 people. You know, I really do trust the Lord. And, uh, you know, I shook their hands when we were done. And I, I left. Never heard another word from the pastor, which is fine. I wasn't expecting to. Sometimes when I speak at a church that way, you get a check in the mail for $50 later. And didn't get that. And that's fine. Not a big deal. But I got a phone call a month later. It was one of the men that was in that little service. He wanted to have lunch. And this is back in 1993. I said, okay. And so we had lunch. And he told me about his grandson who had been arrested, living in another state, and had died in jail. And he was convinced that his grandson died without knowing the Lord. And he was really Moved by what I said about what we were trying to do in the jail here. And he said, I want to help. He said I don't know how much I can do. It may not be much, but I want to help. And so and so he one though, if I write a check, how do I do it? So I told him who to write it to and whatever. And so he, you know, he was busy and he kind of quickly screwed it out and just stuck it in an envelope and gave it to me and said, Just use this. And whatever way you see fit, so I once again reminded him, well, I don't actually take the money, the money sent to someone else, you know, our headquarters, and from that we create our buddy. He goes, that's fine. He says, I trust you. I know what you're doing. And he told me he had used that time to call the sheriff to see if I was really at the jail and called the jail administrator to see if I was legit. And when he found out all that was true, and so I took the envelope, we had a great lunch, said goodbye. I drove home, almost forgot that I had the envelope. You know, I I had gotten home took my wallet out of my my pants, and there was this photo envelope, took it, ripped it open, checked, $20,000. And the ministry that I had just started, we were in the red by 15 grand. What a great coincidence. I said, man, am I lucky today. No, that's not what I said. All right? But the point is, is that the, the Lord provides, and he can do so in incredible ways. And even though I thought it was at the last minute, that was exactly when the Lord determined that would happen. And so we need to remember those things. So here, so with that individual, he was—he gave, in a sense, of his own free will. He was convinced this is what God wanted to do. And so we want to make sure that that's how we support the ones that we support. We're convinced. <laughs> we evaluate their ministry, make sure that what they're doing is honoring God and honoring God in the way they do it, and then we're going to support them. And if others want to support them as well, Terrific. Right, but we want to make sure this not by manipulation. Also, when you look at verse 4, he says, um, again, "As is of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So these individuals saw this as a privilege. All right, they didn't see it really as charity, per se, as a privilege. It was a privilege for them to do this. You could say, and I've used this before, and I think it's correct, Uh, That when we support ministries, I believe we are investing in the work of God. There's a lot of ways to use it, but we are investing. We're not just giving charity. We are investing in the lives of people. Whether we're meeting their needs physically, spiritually, usually it's both. Uh, That's the idea. But we are investing in lives. We are investing in the lives of of the missionaries. We want to make sure that's going on. That's what they were doing. The fourth thing is is uh, in verse 5. He says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So again, Christian giving is based on the character of the one giving. All right, so again, that's the idea. What does he say? He says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, I know this may... I've I've had people tell me I should never say this, but I do believe it's true. Because I've seen this happen before where sometimes a church will have individuals go to... grocery stores and places to raise money for a mission trip i'm like why are we asking non-believers to support the work of god now if they come out of the woodwork and want to do it i'm fine with that but i'm not going to go out into the world and ask them to give me money so you guys can go to uganda and spread the gospel we give ourselves first to the lord and then we give ourselves to the ministry we give ourselves to others that's the idea i believe that is here and the idea is that it's based on the character of the one. So I'm not going to try to make a non-believer feel better about themselves. They might even think that they're now earning points to go to heaven because they gave us money for a mission trip. And, we and I don't want to give them that opportunity. All right, we want to make sure that, that you know people understand. In fact, I even had one time a, a, a Jewish rabbi gave me money for the ministry. It's a long story. I'll cut all that part out and just tell you that I, I told him. I said, you do know I'm going to be teaching... That Jesus is the only way of salvation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he he didn't want to hear any more of it. He already knew that. But he he felt obligated for whatever the reason. And so I said, thank you, and thank the Lord. And so uh, that's the idea. And the last thing here, um, looking at verse 7, he says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So the idea here is that the giving of the Christian is an extension of what's in the soul. They were growing in faith. They were excelling in faith. They were excelling in their speech about the Lord, in their knowledge. That means in their Bible study, in their knowledge of Scripture, in their theology. And out of that came the giving. And so you see where all this is centered and, and how this should be going. All right, so, it's, so again, we're not, you know, we're not discussing percentages of what you should give. We're not talking about anything like that this is about the character of the individual. We know the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Who is a cheerful giver? Well, he's the individual who does not give because he's been manipulated into giving. He's an individual who sees it truly as a privilege. He's an individual who is growing in the grace of God and the knowledge of God and desires to give. They have a growing capacity and compassion and burden for others, and they want to make those kinds of investments whether they do it through their church or individually. I think it should be primarily done through the church, but not exclusively through the church. And so this is what Paul is giving to these individuals. He's challenging these Corinthians. Look at the Macedonians. This is what they're doing, and this is what I'm challenging you to do. And, of course, he has every confidence that that will take place as he sees them moving in the right way as they obey the Word of God. And I trust the same thing will be true in your life as well as an individual. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness and grace and love. And we thank you, Lord, that we do live, comparatively speaking, in the world, an incredibly wealthy nation. And as a result, Father, we experience a lot of great numbers of luxuries and things that others could only dream about. And you have your reasons why, Lord, why we live here and why we flourish here. We pray, Lord, that we would learn to have the proper attitude towards all these blessings that we have, that we should go way beyond just being thankful for what we have. The Lord, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, the Lord, that we would be as, as individuals, as collectively as a group, that we will look for ways that we can give and support in the work that you have laid before us. Pray, Lord, that you would keep us from being manipulated by those who are not earnest in their work for the Lord. Now, Father, you will lead us to those who seek to humbly do the work that you've asked them to do in a way that you've asked them to do it. And may we be behind them solidly and be there for them, be an anchor necessary for them every step of the way. We thank you, Father, for the many missionaries that we've been able to support through the years, for, for decades in some cases. So they would never have to worry about their resources drying up. We've been faithful in that, Father excitedly hearing how you've used the ministry they've been involved in. And Father, we want to do more of that now and in the future. So Father, we pray that you would address whatever needs we have in our heart. And if there's still greed, if there's still selfishness, we pray, Lord, that you would just rip that out of us, and that you would destroy that. That, Father, we have the freedom to truly live in obedience to all that you say. Thank you so much, Father, for how you've used others in life others in our lives to give to us whether it's their time their talent their finances or all of the above our lives been blessed by your people father and we thank you and so lord we ask now that you would continue to move in our hearts as we bring our time to a close and that we would think about these things throughout the week and we ask these things in christ's name amen